Welcome to the official business and lifestyle legends podcast. Real life stories, exciting interviews, and a lot of knowledge to change your life. And here is your host of today's episode, Ben Schneider. Today's episode is powered by jobmofi.com. Jobmofi.com is a job search platform where you can hire a remote worker from the overseas, from all over the world, and you can sell your services on the marketplace. So if you need a remote worker, a designer, a virtual assistant, a web designer, developer, or anything else, go on jobmofi.com, sign up for free, only verified users, no fakes, no scam. Check it out, 14 days free trial on jobmofi.com. Welcome, guys, to the Business and Lifestyle Legends podcast. Today, I have another awesome guest for you, and it's a she. So it's the first woman on our podcast show. Uh, she was an elite-level competitive figure skater. She is also an USDA-ranked tennis player, is the founder and creative director of Elite Skatewear and Los Hatton Co., as well as the host of the What Fulfills You podcast. From the United States in Los Angeles, Emily Elizabeth. Hey, Emily, how are you doing? Hi, thank you. I'm doing super awesome. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Yeah, appreciate to be uh, to have you on the show today as the first woman here. Um, so you are the founder and creative director of Elite Skatewear and Los Hatton Co. So um, let's talk about that a little bit. How did you? get there um, that you were founding a company that produces uh, skatewear? Mm -hmm. So as you probably saw, uh, my background is in figure skating. So I was a competitive figure skater for about 12 years prior to college and going to university. And so, you know, when I was a teenager around 16 or 17, I started to get into that phase of what I usually call very typical for a teenage girl where you're kind of bratty, you, you think you know it all, you want it to do it your own way. And with that, it relayed over into my desire to design my own skating dresses. So that's where it really started. I showed my mom ideas of what I wanted my own dress to be. At that time, I think the first dress I designed was a kind of darker Swan Lake version. Um, I was skating to a Swan Lake song. And so um, I just remember showing my mom this. And then later on over the months, I had other skaters asking me, where'd you get that dress? Like that is so unique. And I think they were talking about it being unique because I was, I was designing it for a 16 year old like myself. And so other 16 year olds were seeing this and they were saying, wow, it's more modern looking because at the time, most of the designers or dressmakers, they're older. Um, not to say that they don't have a sense of fashion or style, but they are disconnected from the way a 16 and 17 year old thinks and the way what, the, what they believe is trendy. So um, that's kind of how it started. I later on told my mom, hey, you know, I see this trend of people asking me where I get this. Is there a way, because again, I was kind of younger and didn't really know what to do or where to start. I asked her, is there a way I could, you know, take a photo of this and put it on eBay and offer it as a custom made to fit option where people can order the same exact item, but just give me their measurements and we could have someone create it. 
And so that's where I started. I started on eBay. Um, and then later on, I added more designs, more colors, more, you know, different options. And then from there, eBay went into e-commerce, made my own website. And that's just kind of how that story began. That's quite awesome because my career starts on eBay as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think especially back then, I mean, it's, it's a little different today with the access to social media, but definitely when this is like six, seven years ago, I mean, even 10 years ago, eBay was the hub for a lot of people who were trying to get to sell something online. It was just way more accessible through eBay, but obviously today there's a lot of other options to do it completely on your own and not have to go through eBay. But yeah, <laughs> that's, that's definitely how I started. Definitely. Definitely. So, uh, for me, it's around, I think 15, seven years, uh, 17 years ago, uh, when I started on eBay. So uh, this were, had been awesome times, um, these days, but uh, there, there was no Facebook and no, Pinterest, mm -hmm. Instagram, TikTok, all that kind of, th there was quite nothing. There was eBay, <laughs> but, but, but it right. did work exactly. out. It, it did work out and it was a great, great place to start. So, mm -hmm. uh, what, what comes in my mind as a serial entrepreneur, when I hear you're designing skate wear, um, mm -hmm. is that not a too tiny niche to, to create a big business mm -hmm. or yeah, am I wrong? Every you know, it's really funny. It is a very small niche. Um, the reason why I have what I would say has been successful in this industry is for a few reasons. One is that because it is niche and very specific to a sport, a specific demographic, aka meaning you have to understand the way the consumer in that market thinks, right? That's the thing. I was a skater and I also had parents that you know, some days they were complaining about the cost of figure skating. Some days they were complaining about the cost of dresses and skate sharpening and getting new skates and new boots and new blades. So I collected that as my personal data to go off of and think about, okay, what does the parent think, right? They're the ones purchasing. They're the, they're the, uh, you know, they're the consumer doing the purchasing. Their daughter or son, because I also create male costumes, they are the final end consumer they're wearing it they're feeling it they're taking the photos but you know so for me because I was a I was a skater and b I was also very you know interested in understanding the way my parents were thinking about it as well as other parents too you know when you're in this sport it's very cutthroat you hear all the parents talk all the time it's very competitive so I had a boost from that I already understood and, um, you know, when I first started this business too, especially during college, I was coaching regularly too. So I was on ice coaching skaters, being around the community so frequently. And again, since it's so small and so niche and where I am in California, it is actually one of the top locations to train in the US and even globally, even um, skaters from Japan and, and Europe and Russia, they actually, some of them train in Los Angeles or Colorado. Those are the two best places to train in the US. But with that being said, I had just inside knowledge on, on what they're thinking and how to attract to them and how to market to them. Um, and for me as well, the big differentiation I've had is creating a community around my business and brand. So my thinking was, how can I become the next Nike or Lululemon within the skating community? Because right now in, in skating, even today, and, and it's so funny, I see a lot of brands or dressmakers rather trying to kind of mimic and emulate what I do through my brand elite skatewear um, 
but it, it's more than just selling a dress now. It's selling this like, oh, I'm so proud to wear Nike or I'm so proud to wear Lululemon, right? Same thing as a lot of them are taking photos, tagging us. So I'm mimicking this trend of 16 year olds wanting to take a photo with my dress and model it just the way I have modeled my dress or just the way other models have worn my dress because they want to be like the girl in the photo. So a lot of dressmakers, while they have a small portion of the market, um, it's harder for them to compete because I've become this brand and there was never a brand in the market before, at least for dresses and my type of niche. Awesome, awesome. Um, I think this is kind of way how business or a business for startups, maybe especially, works in 2020, 2021 nowadays, mm -hmm. um, using that power of the audience, um, mm -hmm. really get them into your brand and um, basically help them grow your brand, uh, but mm -hmm. uh, t take, them, take them from their point and uh, yeah, give them a community to be part yeah. of. Yeah. And I, and I think to add right there as well, you know, with that community, um, aside from that, I don't sell just dresses anymore. That's what I started with. But now I sell other very niche uh, accessories. For example, I sell gloves, performance gloves specifically, that skaters wear when they compete. That's something I always wanted. And I actually had to have it customized for myself. And later on, I went on to think, okay, there's only one other brand right now in in the market that sells this performance gloves and um, even that they don't sell dresses they just sell accessories so, so they sell gloves they sell skate guards they sell um, tights or um, you know the type of uh, it, it's just like a female garment where they wear under with their dress and so for me I was thinking this is such an easy add-on you know when when they're checking out on my website they're purchasing the dress and they could add on gloves as well to wear for either practice training or competition and that as well i've been able to put in stores along with my dress so i'm not just direct to consumer i'm also um, business to business as well working with other um, wholesalers Ah, okay yeah that that's mm -hmm. for sure also a great way are you selling worldwide or um, mm -hmm. only in the u.s worldwide and it's super funny i have a lot of uh customers in germany as well where you are so um it's it's funny and um yeah definitely uk germany uh switzerland those are a lot of the countries that i work with as well okay so this is this is how you can um scale out of a tiny niche because if you're only um uh selling in the US and the US mm -hmm. is quite big for me as a German guy but uh, if you're only selling in the US it might be tiny but if you're selling worldwide that's something mm -hmm. that is also similar to my e-commerce store which is also very nicheable um, that, then you can crush it as well because mm -hmm. uh, if you have for example I don't know 20,000 um, search inquiries on Google for your main keyword in your country then you might have 100,000 all over the world so but in exactly. a tiny tiny niche uh, where you can be the best because if you're if you starting doing uh, I don't know creating some shoes or or trousers mm -hmm. or t-shirts uh, mm -hmm. you won't crush it because you are not the next Nike but you can become the right. next Nike in your tiny niche exactly exactly yeah so I, I know many people have asked me that as well they've always wondered is it too tiny to expand and scale but that's the that's the thing i was able to approach it more as a brand 
instead of a small dressmaker, like a small mom and pop shop, which are great. Many, many skaters still go to them to have them make the dress every year. That's totally fine. But that's why I've grown into a brand and I sell more than just dresses now. And, and I, and I work with stores and I work with communities of skaters where they can bring in, um, more and, and new customers to me as well. Uh, influencer marketing, is that also a big deal for you? It's something that I've tapped into. It's it's really interesting how, um, you know, again, with skaters and especially a lot of them being young, 16, 17, they're like, they get so excited when you send them, like, for example, a pair of gloves and they take photos with it. And because it makes them feel important and it makes them feel special, and they are. And for me, I get, I've been able to target a lot of top skaters in the U.S. and worldwide, um, even a German skater. Um, I forget what city she skates in. It starts with an O. Um, you might know which city that is, but um, it's a lot of them have been able to kind of post photos, tag elite skatewear and say, hey, like, look at this that I have. So that does bring in um, new traction to my to my brand. And it's just a I, I would say a mutual exchange because they get free products and um, really get to feel part of a community. Yeah, um, maybe for the audience out there, this is something that might be very interesting for you because uh, the, in the influencer marketing uh, could be a very good tool if you run an e-commerce store. Uh, let me share a story with you guys real quick and also with you, Emily. Um, a few days ago, I was talking to Steve Messler. Steve Messler is an uh, Olympic gold medal winner in the four-person four bobsled. So. He, run, uh, he won a gold medal. Uh, he was going two, two times before to the Olympic Games. And he earned, he told me he earned, before he uh, were um, winning that gold medal, he earned around 3,000 bucks a month as a professional Olympic, uh, Olympic uh, athlete. So what, I, what I'd like to tell you with that story is that there are niches out there you can work with, with professional people, with the best people of the world, but this is, this is possible for you to really work with them and take them for your, for your uh, as an influencer for your business because they don't earn that much. There is not that much popularity like if you're being an NFL player or basketball player or something like that who are earning tons of money. There are niches out there. Um, the people are very famous in their niches, but they are not famous in the world. So that's why they do not earn a lot of money. And that's why they would be affordable or maybe do it for free um, just for the stuff to do a collaboration with you. And I think you are in quite a similar niche, the, the skating guys. I do mm -hmm. not expect them to earn millions of money. Uh, also, if they are at the Olympic Games or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely true. With with sponsors, it only really works with the top, top skaters and you have to be actually US Olympic level. So it's only maybe three to four skaters out there that are partnering with Nike and Lululemon and you know these big athletic brands. Um, so yeah, so that's why, again, it's, it's really why, I mean, I work as a blogger and an influencer outside of elite skatewear as well. So I absolutely understand the scope of what it means to you know, work and collaborate with influencers or what I kind of call wannabe influencers in the skating world. Because again, it's not as common for skating. You might see a beauty product or 
um, a clothing product that influencers in like a fashion market they wear, right? You see Zara, you see, you know, um, any brand out there that girls are modeling and, and posting on Instagram, but then you don't see anything for skating. So that's why I've been able to break through and work with these teenagers who are like, oh my gosh, mom, this is so cool. I'm getting sent products and all I have to do is post photos. And again, because my market is so niche and so small, it gets it gets viewed by a lot of other skaters who are going to be potential customers. Yeah, uh, definitely. So how is the how's the product process um, in your company? Are you producing all in the US or uh, mm -hmm. sending the stuff to China or how's that going? Mm -hmm. Yeah, personally, um, I I do not enjoy working with China and and that's just kind of my personal um i guess like value in terms of where i prefer to do business um i work with a mix of people in the us for my gloves for example and then for dresses um dress manufacturing in in mass production i work with uh those in vietnam so um i am of vietnamese heritage as well so i'm able to speak the language and they produce extremely exceptional quality um I can't speak on my experience with China because I've never worked with them directly, but I can certainly say there is a, a impression of products coming from China as not the best quality, right? Um, again, it, it varies. Some products actually are great quality, but some are, especially with clothing pieces and something that you're wearing on ice and you're spinning and you're jumping in the air and you're wearing, you know, again, as a previous skater myself and a coach, I would only want my student or myself to be wearing a very high quality costume. So for me, it's it's a lot of trial and error and making sure my team understands the expectations because we bring forth a very high quality that is just honestly unheard of. So that's something that we've been known for is, wow, their quality is just so exceptional that it's quite insane that the price point is not $1,000, for example, which a lot of... Um, dressmakers tend to do their dresses are between 800 and 1000 and up whereas my price point is more around 300 you know 250 to 500 and again really depends because sometimes they use swarovski crystals sometimes they use a little bit less valuable crystals um it really depends on the skater so for me that's that's kind of my process and um i really enjoy it because i get to personally work with each client and um and fortunately i have a team as well on social media and marketing and all of that so I get to focus my um, my priorities in one area. Awesome. Let's get back to this in a second uh, about the quality. Uh, in my view, also for the audience out there, when while you're listening right now to these podcasts, I'm that type of person that prefers always to sell the best quality you can because um, I'm 100% on the same page. Uh, like you mentioned, you want to build up a brand. You don't want to build uh, or you don't want to sell some clothing for skating. You want to build a brand. And if you want to build a brand, uh, that's a long term matter. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this will take time. But if you're selling, um, let me not curse. <laughs> if, if you're selling uh, products which are not from good quality, that will be bad for your brand reputation. So. Mm -hmm. And in your case, you need to have a very, very high standard. Imagine uh, these girls are are flipping around in the air mm -hmm. and something is scratching at this moment. Uh, does, 
this customer would never come back to you. And the 100 people around this ice skating um, court will also not, uh, not buy from you because they saw that, hey, it scratches if you move uh, in the air or yeah. something like that. This will not work. So you definitely, mm -hmm. you need to have uh, a high standard of quality because uh, mm -hmm. you need to keep your reputation. Exactly, exactly. And I, like I said, I think of it as a consumer myself, regardless of a skating product, even if I'm shopping for a high quality purse, right? I always think about how and why do brands like Celine or um, I don't even want to use Louis Vuitton, but Louis Vuitton even, right? I mean, they, they never go on sale. They never have promotions or anything like that, right? And there's people that stand in line during the holidays at these stores just to go in and look at a bag because because the quality is great, right? And again, it's kind of subjective. Some people might say, oh, this one's not great. But, you know, you can tell the difference versus a $1,000 bag versus a $50 bag, right? And I think same thing. People notice the difference. So when they are looking for something quality, they are more willing to spend the money for it because it's a need, right? The quality and the exceptional detail in the the way the dress is made especially in my industry that is very important to skaters and very important to parents so they're going to be willing to pay the premium for that and if not they're more than welcome to you know shop at another store that's selling less but the quality is usually not guaranteed i mean just with the with a skating dress you can't it's very difficult to make it at a cheap price um and so if they do they they'll see it yeah, I think so too. And I think for uh, maybe I don't know for your skating dresses, um, but if you're producing t-shirts or stuff like that, um, you also have different stages of quality, but the pricing range um, for the producing price is not that, uh, that much different. So I'm not sure how it's in your case, um, but for t-shirts or stuff like that, it's not that much different. Um, yeah, yeah. What, what I'd like to know is about your team. Um, you mentioned you have a team in, in your company mm -hmm. and you're focusing on the creative parts. Um, how is your team? How did you build your team? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, um, I have to say, first off, my team is very small in terms of like the actual operations, if you will. So that includes marketing, emails, um, and and actually doing the, the website, all the design, all that stuff. That's myself and two others. Um, and the way I built the team, um, you know, especially because I started out as a solopreneur, right, a solo entrepreneur, um, I was very meticulous and picky in who I was going to allow into this business with me. And so um, I actually was fortunate enough to uh, be able to build a team off of fellow figure skaters as well. And those who already understand the market, I think that was very difficult to bring in someone that didn't understand anything about the sport and trying to do social media for it, right? So that's been really awesome. She, her name is Tiffany. She's been on my team for almost two years now, and she handles all of the social media, the community engagement. Um, she does now some of the outreach to stores, right? When it's getting into a new store or working with a specific skating community, I don't know, in New York or something or in Canada. So she does outreach for that, whereas I get to stay focused on, you know, the production, the time frame. 
um, each custom dress that's coming in, um, any new designs I'm working on, things like that. And I just get to overlook and approve all the social media because I've done social media for so many years on so many different platforms for myself as a blogger, for my podcast, for everything else. And so for me, I've just tried to build a system on teaching others how to do it in a similar way. They take what they like from me and they apply it themselves. So it's a win-win because they really get to gain a hands-on experience with me, which I would say it's very difficult to gain the same type of experience in a corporate setting where you have hundreds and thousands of other people in the company and you're just another one. So for me, um, this girl has been able to get mentored by me, get to see my thought process, and um, she's been able to work with me on the podcast as well. So that's been awesome. Awesome. So let's uh, talk about your podcast um, while we are going to the end of this episode. You are the host of the What Fulfills You podcast. So that has, um, I think, nothing to do with the skating stuff you're doing in your business, but more what is your purpose about um why have you started this podcast was there something in your life that uh, yeah you you realize there need to be a change in my life because i'm not happy and i need to to go for something more mm -hmm. yeah it's funny that you bring that up um you know i would say the biggest shift in my life for me happened probably in 2017 or so i was a junior in college i think i was going through just kind of a personal you know, relationship breakup and just a transformation in, in my personal development. And at the time, I started to learn the, the specific elements in life that really make your happiness sustainable. So um, I realized that being fulfilled in whatever you do was a big key to that happiness, right? And I think that's kind of the ultimate question is what is the key to happiness? So many people still debate that to this day. Some people will still say it's money. Some people will still say it's, um, you know, some sort of quote, right? Or your job or whatever it is. And some people will say it's relationships, right? Um, and so for me, I think listening to other thought leaders that spoke about this really made me realize that there was a white space in my own demographic. I'm 23 years old and I felt that there was there was not an actual relatable thought leader who was a female in her 20s speaking on this topic. You see a lot of Tony Robbins and Tim Ferriss and those types of people. Um, but again, they, they're male and they're in their I mean, 40s and up, right? And of course, they still touch the demographic millennials, which is um, I'm like the end of the millennial generation. But the, the Gen Z right now, the 18, the 19, the 20 year old girls, I didn't see like who they were kind of thinking about when they were thinking, who's my role model? Who's my, who's a person that I look up to in the way she thinks, in the way she talks, right? So that kind of came to occur to me. And I was like, why are you not creating a podcast that could essentially what I told my older brother, actually, I said, my podcast is going to emulate elements of Tony Robbins and Tim Ferriss, actually two that I mentioned earlier, but in a more female version and in a younger version, because again, 18 year olds are not going to be talking about, um, or at least the common ones, they're not going to be talking about crypto or entrepreneurship as frequently. But they, at the same time, when they graduate high school and they graduate college, they don't have a guideline for life, right? And I think that's what kind of everyone goes looking for once they go into their early 20s. They start to face the highs and lows of life. 
and people start to wonder, oh, what books do I need to read? What, what podcasts do I need to listen to to kind of get my life together? And so I really was thinking, yeah, who does a 20-year-old girl in college, who does she go to right now? And so that was honestly the thought process for me in creating the podcast. And um, I started it last March. And ever since then, it's just been growing. And so it's something that I do want to take full time and um, have put a big focus on for, for the future. Awesome. Awesome. It sounds, sounds very great. Uh, uh, let us have a word about that generation, um, because I think what you mentioned is quite interesting and um, yeah, definitely a word worth. So what is that generation thinking about life? What they, do they want to do? Um, are they are they all want to went rich or because I think there's also a difference between uh, male and females because um, uh, 18 year old boy, maybe he sees all that gurus or fake gurus on Instagram driving a Lamborghini or McLaren or kind of like that and want to be like <laughs> them. But a 20 year old girl, mm -hmm. I, I don't think she has that dream. I don't think all 20 year old girls want to be an entrepreneur. Maybe they want to find a good man, a good relationship, having a family, that, that traditional stuff, or has that mm -hmm. changed um, with, the, with this generation? Mm -hmm. I agree. I think, I think even generation by generation, when anyone is at 20 years old, halfway through college, or maybe just starting college, again, depending on where you are in the world, a lot of them are figuring it out. They don't they don't know what they want yet. And I think a lot of them are looking for help on how to figure it out, even with what to study in college, because I have friends in Germany, for example, who tell me that um, after their A level or something like that, that or or either way, they have to pick what they study right off the bat. Right. So if you want to become a lawyer, you have to pick that path right away. And if you change, you basically kind of have to start over. Am I correct? In Germany, yeah, at least, right? Yeah, that could yeah. be. <laughs> yeah. So, I, again, it's funny. I have a lot of friends in Germany that tell me that. And over here, if we want to change our course of studies, our major is what we call it in the U.S., we can change it halfway through. Sometimes it might take a semester longer or one year longer, but we can at least change it and we don't lose all of the credits that we studied, right? But that's the key is what you said there. Do some of them want to find a relationship? Not all of them want to be entrepreneurs. That is correct. I will say the thought of being an entrepreneur has increased over the past five years, right, especially. Um, but I think that is why I don't focus on entrepreneurship on my podcast. I focus on life fulfillment, right? So you'll see that I interview some people that work nine to five in finance. Some of them are real estate agents. Some of them are close friends that I have taken advice from personally on personal relationships. I bring them on and we talk about these things because I see eye to eye with these Gen Z women because they're struggling through these, right? Personal relationship, you know, um, body image issues, career alignment, you know, what, or whether you're going to study, you know, kind of just figuring out how to improve themselves and how to have a better way to develop in their early 20s. So that's what I focus on and that's why I kind of hit every single bucket around the circle. So I will talk about entrepreneurship a little bit because some of them are curious. They want to know, is it for me? Is it not for me? And then they get to hear people that work in nine to five. They get to hear a, 
a hair salon owner. They get to hear a makeup artist. They get to hear a personal relationship. They get to hear um, men that come on the podcast to talk about dating from their perspective. So I really try to make it a holistic view of what it's like to be in your 20s and different elements you can take from different people that you may be able to apply in your own life. Is there any advice you could give by the end of this episode to this generation? If someone is is listening right now, so for sure, guys, um, look for her podcast, the um, What Fulfills Your Podcast on iTunes. Um, but is there any any recommendation you could give in this podcast episode to this generation if they are in college and um, yeah want to figure out their lives? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My best advice, um, and here's here's my here's why too, to preface. I personally think that each of us actually really do know what we want in life, but we're afraid to admit it to ourselves, right? Um, I, I, I truly believe that. And the reason why is because I think there are so many things that we say, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could have that. That's already the subconscious thought of, I wish I could be that. But then you insert the but X, Y, and Z excuses, right? And so I think if, if you are, let's say 21 years old, you want to figure out your life or you want to figure out your future, right? My best advice is one, don't let external opinion, so your parents, your friends, your peers, don't let them give you their opinion on what you want to do. That's the first part. And I think that's very difficult. That's a very difficult obstacle because uh, to overcome because I think everyone naturally wants to take input from parents or their friends, right? But that's the thing is like, if you allow external opinion come into this vision that you have, they're going to chew you up and they're going to say, oh, that's not gonna work. Oh, you know, I think this is better for you. But truly, you're the only person that really knows what's ideal for you, right? People can guide you, people can advise you, but ultimately you have to have the guts to decide it for yourself. And I think if you sit down and ask yourself these hard questions, you're able to figure that out. Um, but secondly, I think once you do figure it out, maybe for example, for me, I figured out that you know, the Olympic dream was over when I was 18. I was like, all right, I'm going to go to college. I'm not going to try to compete internationally for skating. Um, and then over time, I realized here's one thing I figured out was I don't ever want to have to be dependent on another person to make money, essentially, or have a career. Right. So that didn't mean I was against a nine to five, but that was already the the, the basic path. Right. I was saying, hey, I don't I don't want to. I don't want to be reliant on a boss. I don't want them to tell me what to do every day, right? So at least I already kept that in mind. And I went towards a direction that was similar to that, right? So I started blogging. I started taking photos because that's all under my own my own direction. And, um, and I think by the time I really finalized, like, hey, you know, I could be podcasting. I could be growing my business, Elite Skatewear. And I could be doing other things. That's when I realized um, I just have to go after with go after everything with conviction. And so I'll leave it with a quote that I live by, and that is: "In life, you don't get what you deserve; you get what you negotiate." So everything in life that you want, you're able to attain it. You just have to be willing to ask. And I think that's the second biggest obstacle anyone's willing to do is simply ask, because 99% of people 
are too scared of their ego getting hurt. So they will never ask for the opportunity. They'll never ask for the job. They'll never ask for the car, the, they're negotiating a car to go, to go lower. And I think that's personally how I've gone to where I got today is because I never hesitated to ask and I never allowed outside opinion get in my way. So that's my personal advice for anyone in their 20s. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing this. Um, I want to add some, some more words on this. I think these young guys, this young generation don't have to figure out their lives. Also, as we did, you don't have to figure out your life at 25th or uh, in your 20s. Um, if, you, if you want to be something or want, a lot of people, a lot of young people out there want to be an influencer on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram and uh, all that platforms. And this is possible. This is definitely possible for you, but it's not possible with doing one video a week or a month. You got to put in the work and all these influencers out there are not influencing people by making one video in, in a week. They're, they, uh, maybe they have, have created thousands of video until you got to them until you find them on, mm -hmm. on a search for, or, or on a recommendation or something like that. Um, I also have on my YouTube channel some viral videos, but I have uploaded around 800 videos. So mm -hmm. this is, there is definitely, guys, no overnight success. You've got to put in mm -hmm. the work and uh, for sure, there is luck. There is always luck in business. But trust me, the more you got to put in the work, the luckier you get. Mm -hmm. And this is really something I want to I want to add uh, to your words um, because you already mentioned it uh, quite a lot. But this is really something that's important for you guys. The more work you put in, the luckier you get. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. do, do what you want. Do what you want because we have new jobs out there. Um, it, influencer gaming streamer stuff like that mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that kind of jobs hadn't been existed 10 years ago and you can mm -hmm. earn a lot of money with that for sure um, mm -hmm. or coach people coaching people or stuff like that for sure that's mm -hmm. possible but you need to put in the work um, mm -hmm. yeah it takes awesome. years it takes years yeah. to get there absolutely definitely definitely I started when I was 12 years old so um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it as you mentioned. It takes years, um, and what I need to add, I started it when I was 12 years old, and I got successful when I was around 28. So um, it takes a lot <laughs> of time, and it uh, does. giving up is not an option, guys. So yeah. thanks, Emily. Awesome. Uh, thanks for sharing your story with us. Um, great, valuable podcast episode today. I really appreciated it to have you on the show. Uh, if you guys want to see more about Emily um, or, or hear more about her, um, look at iTunes for the What Fulfills You podcast. Or um, I think you can just type in Google Emily Elizabeth and mm -hmm. you will find her. Or you just press the uh, links in the description. So if you guys liked that episode, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. Uh, would be appreciated and be with us in the next episode. Thanks, Emily, for being here with me. Thanks, Thank guys, you. for listening. Bye-bye.